This is Friday, March 19th, and we're continuing looking at this higher Christian life, looking at what it means to surrender our life to him, looking at how we need to live our life in order to receive from the Holy Spirit this ability to live victoriously and abundantly and beyond the hold of sin and the flesh that seems, at least in my own life, to cause this up and down seesaw kind of existence where I'm hot today and cold tomorrow and up and down and two steps forward and two steps back, which is not at all the abundant life that was promised us and not at all the kind of life that I know for me personally, I'm satisfied with. We've read testimonies of great saints of old who experienced a deliverance from this, something they called a baptism of the Holy Spirit, an infusion of the Holy Spirit, the victorious Christian life, or the phrase that was coined in 150 years ago, the higher Christian life. And that's something we're striving for and seeing, number one, it is possible. And if it is possible and there's more to Christ than what we're experiencing right now, then I don't know about you, but I want it, and I'm hungry, and I'm striving for it. And God will always fulfill a desire that he places in our heart. Always. Hold on to that truth as we close out this week. Now, one of the things I want to share with you today is the fact that one of the keys to experiencing this higher Christian life, at least in my own life, it's what I've struggled with a lot, is to live not for the applause of man, or not to have some hook on everything that we do to somehow bring glory to yourself, or build something that will last beyond your lifetime, that no matter how noble your pursuits may be, but live only for the approval and pleasure of God. Now, this is hard, especially when we devote ourselves to the good things in life. I'm a pastor. Being a pastor is good. But if I focus my life on just being a pastor, then I'm really living for the applause of men and of my own self-gratification and being a pastor and not for him alone. Our single desire should be like that of Christ. If you remember in John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says at the end of that verse, I always do the things that please him. I always do the things that please my Father. In other words, I live my life for the sole purpose of bringing pleasure to the Father by my obedience. And to live this higher Christian life that we've been talking about, we have to develop the same mindset to live for the applause of God and God alone. Now, those that have written on this those who've experienced this, those that I've shared with you earlier in the week, like Oswald Chambers and Andrew Murray, have written about what it means to just focus on the pleasure of God and not all the good things that have a tendency of eclipsing the best thing in life. For example, uh, just two days ago, on March 17th, 
this was the entry that Oswald Chambers had, or part of the entry in his My Utmost for His Highest. Like I've shared with you, I've gone through this every year for, I don't know, almost 30 years, and it always speaks to me in a profound way, just like this one did, that I've read 30 different times just two days ago. And here's what he says. It is an arduous or a difficult, demanding great effort work to keep the master ambition in front. Now, this is not the master's ambition, meaning Christ's ambition, but this is the number one ambition that we have in life. What is the overriding ambition? What is the priority? What is the one thing that we funnel everything else through to make sure it lines up? What is our personal mission statement and mission purpose, if you wanted to use a a corporate vernacular? It is a hard, difficult, demanding, arduous work to keep the master ambition in front. It means holding oneself to the high ideal year in and year out, not being ambitious to win souls or to establish churches or to have revivals, but to be ambitious only to be, quote, acceptable of him. Really? I mean, but that's not how ministry is done. How ministry is done is we all get together and decide what we're going to do to help God in his purpose of winning this world to Christ. And so we win souls because that's what we're commanded to do. We establish churches because that's what we're commanded to do. We have revival meetings. Again, this is speaking from their vernacular back then. We have revival meetings because that's how we accomplished what God has called us to do. But our ambition cannot be based on the work. Our ambition can only be based on being accepted of him, acceptable to him, well-pleasing to him. Oswald Chambers goes on, it is not a lack of spiritual experience that leads to failure, but a lack of laboring to keep the ideal right. To keep the idea right, that there's only one thing in my life I need to commit to, and that is to be well-pleasing to him and how he uses me, what fruit he allows me to bear, what evangelistic or ministry kind of opportunities he presents to me that is his job and his concern, and my job is just to be well-pleasing to him. And this is, this is difficult. It's really difficult for someone like me who is kind of aggressive and um, an entrepreneur at heart and wants to continually work towards something. I know in my own life, I get sidetracked with the good things in my relationship with him, such as, again, as I shared earlier, being a pastor or, or leading my family spiritually or preaching and teaching God's word, ministering to others, maybe even praying or studying God's word or, or witnessing or doing all the things that we should be doing, all the good things that are expected and encouraged of someone like you and I who claim to be a believer in Christ. But it's not these good things that necessarily have eternal consequences. But it's these good things that can zap all my strength and all my time and be seen by others as desirable and praiseworthy. And wow, what a great father you are. And look what wonderful children you have. And well, I've devoted so much time in them. And so therefore they are my 
trophies of, of my hard work rather than the trophies of God's grace. Look at the church that you've built. Look at the lessons that you, that you have taught. Look how many hours you pray or the number of people that you've won to Christ. It's all about you. No, it's not about me. I'm just faithfully serving God. And, but we don't mind doing the work for him, but we really want to make sure that somehow we get the credit. Even when we give this faint praise, oh, no, no, it's not me. Thank you for saying that and keep saying that, but it's not me. It's, it's really just God. The good things will demand all your time. If you're a mother and you're raising your kids and you're, you're help, your husband's helping you and you're doing it in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that is a noble goal. That's exactly what you should be doing. But the goal in life is not to raise children. Because once they're up and gone, or maybe, God forbid, they wander for the faith, or they disappoint you, or, or something else happens to them, then your life is crushed because your life work is somehow shipwrecked. No, raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, pastoring a church, teaching, preaching, evangelizing, whatever God is doing in you right now is a byproduct of a deeper, well-pleasing relationship with him. And we never do it for adulation, even though most of us have a tendency of enjoying that. We only do it for him. It is the best things in life that have eternal consequences. The best things in life to be more like Christ and not the good things. And sometimes the good things, at least in the spiritual life, at least in my experience, have been the enemy of the best things. Let me, let me explain. The key to a deeper Christian life is to understand how we're supposed to emulate Jesus in everything. I mean, Jesus is our model. He's our example. He's our guide. And so if we want to know how to respond in certain situations, I want to know how I should feel about this. I, don't want, I want to know how I should respond to this. I basically look at God's word. I understand what Jesus would do. And then I commit to doing the same thing because I want to live like Jesus, act like Jesus. I am, as it says in Romans 8, conformed to the image of his son. And if I struggle with my flesh and have a desire to, to be successful in this world, and rather than being absolutely surrendered and sold out to him, and I say, well, Lord, I, I can't live like you because you are God, I need to remember that amazing chapter in John chapter 14, where Jesus begins to tell us all about the Holy Spirit. And he says that I will send to you another helper, another comforter, another paraclete, that he may abide, rest, dwell in you forever. And he defines who that person is and reveals it to us in John 14, 17, where he says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he dwells with you and will be in you. The word, and I know I've shared this with you before, the word for another is not another yet different. Like I'm getting another car. I have a Ford, but I'm going to be getting a Chevy. It's still a car, but it's another car. The word another here is one of the exact same kind. I'm getting exactly the same thing that I had. Jesus is saying, I'm sending someone to you who is exactly like me. And I have already told you that I am exactly like the Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. 
And then he ends this in the next verse by saying this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he will come to them in the presence of the Holy Spirit who abides with us forever. So therefore, we have Jesus through the Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us to do the will of the Father, just like Jesus had. And if that's the case, why do we still struggle? Why is it still a battle with the flesh and a battle with the the lust that we have? Why are we sometimes hot and sometimes cold? Why do we have this up and down relationship that seems commonplace with Christianity today when we know from Scripture that we are called to be victors and overcomers? Just read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the promises to the overcomers. And this is given to us by virtue of what Christ has already accomplished. Why is that that we struggle? Part of the reason, and next week we're going to go through a self-examination process where we're going to ask the Lord to reveal to us things that are standing between us and this intimate, higher Christian life with Him, things that are blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit, things that we haven't confessed or things that we haven't given up, are faulty mindsets that haven't been transformed and renewed by our mind in Romans chapter 12. But prior to that, you need to come to an understanding that the highest thing in life is for God to say to you what he said about his son. Let me say that again. The highest goal in our life is to be able to hear God say to us what he said about his son. We find when Jesus began his earthly ministry and he was being baptized by John the Baptist, that the sky opened up and Holy Spirit in a form of a dove came down and alighted upon him. And we find this recorded in Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. And we see God from heaven speaking these words. This is my beloved son. And who I am, this is the words we want him to say to us. Well pleased. Well pleased. It's incredible if God says about anything or anyone that he is well-pleased, that they are sanctified, that they are holy, that he has set them apart for a holy purpose, that he is using them, that he is well-pleased, that it puts a smile on his face just looking at you or I, or in this instance, his son. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus is giving a a parable, and it lays out for us what our goal and ambition in life should be. And that's to hear the Lord say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, even in Matthew chapter 17, in this transfiguration, where all of a sudden several of the disciples are taken up to this hill where Jesus is transformed in front of them and his clothes look like brilliantly white and he's talking to Moses and Elijah and God himself speaks in their hearing. And he says, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased in the middle of his ministry. Listen to him. Be like him. Gosh, can you imagine what it would be like to live a life to hear those words from God? 
well done, good and faithful servant. Our, our highest ambition should be to live a life or have him empower us and give us what's necessary to live a life that is totally well-pleasing to the Lord. We find this truth, and I'll close with this. We, again, we will, we will talk more about this on Sunday. But I find this truth all through the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. The things that God is pleased about and the admonition that we need to figure out what that is and live our life accordingly. One of the most compelling passages in all the New Testament, Romans 12, 1 and 2, says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, therefore, brethren, because of God's mercies, by the mercies of God, that you, that's your job, Steve, you present your body. I'm not taking it from you. I'm not snatching it from you. I'm not demanding it of you. But because of the mercy I've given you, I'm begging you, Paul says, as a follow through with that, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, that's well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. It's what you should do. It's just natural and logical. It just follows based on the mercies of God. Well, how do you do that? And do not be conformed to this world, this world that New Testament tells us love of this world, filio of this world, makes us an enemy of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you do, then you'll be able to prove what is the one good, two, acceptable, well-pleasing, and three, perfect will of God. I do one thing, and he overshadows me and overwhelms me with blessing. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, based on what happened prior to that in this chapter, we make it our aim, our ambition, our purpose, our single focus, whether to be present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Nothing else matters, Paul says, as he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth, than to be well-pleasing to him. Last one, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. He talks about what we were and what we are and what we should be doing because of what we were and what we are. For you were once darkness, that's what we were, but now you are light in the world, that's what we are. So therefore walk as what you are, as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So how am I supposed to live my life? Finding out what is acceptable and well-pleasing to the Lord. Acceptable and well-pleasing to the Lord. As you begin to grow in this process, and again, the whole purpose this week was just to instill in you a hunger and a desire and a dissatisfaction with maybe where you're at spiritually right now so that you'll come to that point in your life when you're willing to do anything to receive all that God has for you in your life. Because the reality of the higher Christian life and a deeper relationship with him comes from obedience. It doesn't come from lukewarmness. It comes from surrender. It doesn't come from being an independent contract and being independent of anything he's called you to do because the scripture says that we're voluntary slaves, doulas of him. And it comes from a desire, 
a deep desire, almost like a, a insatiable hunger to be found at the end of this journey, well-pleasing in his sight. We will talk more about this on Sunday, and I do hope it's been a blessing to you and just wells up in you a desire, a hunger that only God can satisfy to be more like him. If that has happened to you this week, be encouraged because the higher Christian life, this overcoming victorious life that changes the way you see and view everything is not far off. Have a blessed day today, and I will, um, I will talk with you again tomorrow.